this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode the poll bugle has been sounded for uttar pradesh's seventh phase assembly election between february 10th and march 7th along with uttar pradesh four other states including punjab are in election mode to elect new state assemblies Candidates have been announced for the first few phases in Uttar Pradesh by the BJP, the Samajwadi Party, the Bahujan Samaj Party and the Congress. A first round of defections has also taken place. Swami Prasad Maurya, a senior minister and OBC face of the BJP, has jumped ship to the Samajwadi Party, as have two other cabinet ministers from the Yogi Adityanath government. To discuss the stakes in this all important election, I have with me Jeel Vernier. who teaches political science at Ashoka University and has a long standing interest in the politics of Uttar Pradesh welcome to the hindus in focus podcast jeel thank you for the invitation my first question to you jeel give us your initial takes on the uttar pradesh elections with parties announcing candidates and a first round of defections having taken place um my first thought about that is that it it's very much politics as usual uh, for uh, up in in past elections we've always seen uh, a fair number of mlas jumping ship uh, switching party affiliation uh, ahead of an election if you look at the numbers uh, this year it does not seem to be you know more particularly prevalent than 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 in previous years and and that included also high profile defections in the past including mr moria who's it's not the first time that he's defecting from a political party far 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 from it obviously what gives it a, a particular coloration or significance is the fact that many of these defections or, or resignations from ministers have taken place in in a very short span of time within a few days that uh, they looked or they were made to look like some sort of a concerted effort from the part of uh, backward classes representatives who use the defection also as a means to express discontent with um the way uh, they have been treated as backward class leaders by the BJP ever since their inclusion uh, a few de- a few years earlier but other than that uh, it's it's really politics as usual right in an article you wrote for the Hindustan Times in December you argued that the withdrawal of the contentious farm laws by prime minister narendra modi had not given an impetus either to the bjp or to the opposition parties wasn't the intention behind the repeal to level the playing field for the bjp especially in western up yes of course i mean there were a number of considerations and one of them was to remove an irritant from from the campaign uh they had to the from the point of view of the bjp they had to sort of remove the question from from the equation so that they could concentrate and, and and control the terms on which the uh, elections are fought uh, this is something that is key to winning elections not just in india but everywhere you have to control the terms on which the elections is is fought and and withdrawing uh, those uh, farm laws with the hope that it would uh, quieten down uh, farmers protest was uh, uh, necessarily seen in in that light it hasn't really completely worked because as we know the farmers protest continued in the weeks and months after uh, the withdrawal the issue has not 
completely vanished. And obviously, uh, parties like the Samajwadi Party are trying to mobilize. The RLD, particularly in that region in Western UP, is uh, trying to mobilize on the basis of you know, transversal farmers' identities and, 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 and so forth. But uh, arguably, things might have been could have been you know more tensed if if the laws had not been withdrawn in in the first place. But also, what I said then, and which I think remains valid today, is that it's not obvious that the repeal of those laws, which is a major victory for the farmers, will necessarily translate into dividend for political parties that were not really part of the struggle in 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 any case. Uh, the SP, the RLD, they were not, not they were not unsympathetic to uh, the farmers, but uh, they were not really part of the movement, and so it's not very clear that they are going to necessarily or automatically reap a lot of electoral dividend from it. So, contrary to the noises made in sections of the media, the BJP has retained a vast majority of its sitting MLAs so far, quite a high proportion. The Gujarat model of widespread replacement of sitting MLAs has not been utilized in Uttar Pradesh. Why do you think this is the case? It's it's hard to say. Uh, we don't know yet. You know, we don't have complete list, and these lists uh, these lists are, are are prone to change. But it is possible that, uh, given the fact that they have such a large number of MLAs, and that the building you know this class of politicians is also the product of electoral uh, balancing act that that hasn't changed much since the 2017 election and in order to prevent perhaps uh, further discontent uh, within within the party and the supporters of those MLAs they maybe went you know for a, a route of caution and 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 try to you know not create too much churning uh, it remains to be seen whether that's a sound uh, strategy or not, because we know that in UP politics, and that's the case in other states as well, there is a very strong individual anti-incumbency uh, tendency. Um, this is not the usual uh, government or party uh, anti-incumbency, but it's the propensity of voters to turn against those they have elected the previous time. And, and there's a number of reasons why it's very hard for MLAs to build uh, support and to maintain support uh, over time. But it could be that uh, the BJP might regret keeping a lot of MLAs in place uh, who may not actually be uh, highly performing candidates. Jean, we have seen videos of people opposing Deputy Chief Minister Keshav Prasad Maurya, as well as another uh, BJP candidate in Uttar Pradesh, uh, in Western UP actually. So does this, in your view, tell us anything at all, or is this just part and parcel of election politics, electoral politics, as we have it in the country today? So it's part of the usual vicissitudes of electoral politics, but it's also an indication that uh, this, you know, big tent approach that the BJP has adopted, trying to become a highly inclusive party that uh, it has not produced a lot of internal cohesiveness. Indeed, uh, the more diverse the BJP uh, is, has become, uh, the more it sort of absorbed competition between individuals and between groups, right? In 2017, what the BJP did was uh, induct a number of caste leaders from small groups, Moriyas and, and Shakyas and and. and uh, Rajbas and, and, and Nishad and so forth, with the aim of you know building that 
sort of united front or this image of, of inclusiveness. But what they did at the same time was to sort of internalize the um, political competition that exists between between those groups. And, and we've seen that with disputes over uh, portfolio allocation, disputes over ticket allocation. A lot of the MLAs and ministers who recently joined the BJP were among the first to leave it in, in, in protest with the, the you know, they were dissatisfied with the amount of, you know, power and influence that they were actually getting, you know, within the BJP. And so it shows that it, it's a hard thing to, to, you know, try to become uh, inclusive because you have to deal with all these sensibilities. You have to deal with existing competition between groups that does not fade suddenly because you, you place all these individuals within the ambit of a, you know, strong, centralized authoritarian party machine. Many political analysts believe that uh, this time the battle in Uttar Pradesh is won between the BJP and the Samajwadi Party. Oh, would would you agree with such a contention? Yes, by and large, uh, it is going to be a bipolar fight between the uh, SP and, and, and the BJP. That does not mean that um, the opposition space doesn't remain fragmented. I mean, no one believes that the Congress is a contender, you know, to even do a reasonably good performance in, in, in UP. But they can, you know, spoil things for the Samajwadi Party in a number of seats. Um, the BSP is largely written as a, a major loser in this election. And it's possible, but given, you know, the recent history of decline, but at the same time, the BSP and Mayawati in particular uh, are always underestimated. Uh, by their adversaries, but also by a lot of commentators who, who have been, you know, very quick in, in writing her off in recent years. So the fact of the election remains that the landscape remains fragmented, um, that among opposition parties, the SP is poised to make, you know, the most gains in this, in this election. But the gap that separates it from the BJP remains very important. And so it remains an uphill task for the SP to actually challenge the, the, the BJP. But if I may add something um, that I've been saying about this election is that the main challenge uh, to the BJP comes you know, from itself because in 2017, the BJP won this massive election, 77% of the seats, you know, more than 40% of the votes. And, and that sort of helped the BJP forge or create that image of in, invincibility and dominance that actually helped it, um, you know, in subsequent um, elections. But also holding UP at such a high level of dominance, it's also what enabled the BJP to sustain itself at the national level. The challenge of the BJP is not to win the election, but to win it, you know, decisively and to repeat the same kind of performance that it did five years ago. Because when you look at it, the BJP has uh, a thin majority at the Lok, in the Lok Sabha. Uh, they barely have, what, 51, 52% of the seats on their own. Uh, and they barely have any allies anymore. And so this is based on their ability to uh, keep sweeping UP. And so the challenge for the BJP is to remain at the level of dominance that it has, not so much you know, to win the election, which it seems to be poised to do in any case. Do you think that, um, you know, uh, Mayawati, you, uh, you said, had been underestimated? I mean, we see that she has been getting or her party has been getting about 18 to 20 percent of the vote. Do you think that will continue? I mean, would that be something in your view or will, will it be drastically reduced? 
So the way the BSP wins votes, uh, they basically come from two sources. One, uh, I mean, two to three sources. One, of course, is the, the votes provided by um, her core electoral support among Jatels. And even though that support has slightly eroded, uh, it remains very cohesive. Uh, Jata voters in UP are by far the most loyal voters uh, that you can find in India. They've been very consistently supporting Mayawati. It is possible that uh, the, those numbers will go down and that, that cohesiveness will further erode in this election. But it's, it's very hard to read you know, that on the ground or to make any predictions uh, about that. The second source of votes for uh, the BSP come from the co-optation of candidates. And the way the BSP uh, distribute tickets or rather, you know, used to auction tickets was to uh, give tickets to individuals who uh, emerged from locally dominant group, who had some mobilization capacity on their own, who had resources to mobilize, and who could bring the 10 to 15 percent of additional votes that the BSP needed in addition to the 20% or so votes that it got from, from Dalit voters to win uh, seats. Now, the problem of the BSP is that it's no longer perceived as a winning option. And so it's harder uh, for the BSP to find um, non-SC candidates who, um, who, can actually, who can actually perform. Because the kind of candidates that they would attract or that they would co-opt would rather contest on a BJP or on, on an SP ticket now. And so the last part of the electorate that, you know, a party can hope to attract is, you know, some of this, you know, floating electorate, which is not particularly aligned, which does not belong to locally dominant groups and, and which may decide to align themselves with uh, a prospective winner. So a lot of people in India like to vote for the party they think will win. And that obviously was going, is going to be very hard for the BSP to attract uh, those voters who are likely to distribute themselves uh, between the uh, BJP and the SP. Uh, Gilles, in 2017, we saw a three-cornered or three-and-a-half-cornered contest, which appears to be on the cards this time as well. Is that something which uh, could help both either the Samajwadi Party or the BJP? Well, it helps the BJP more, right? Because with India's um, electoral system, first past the post, it creates what, uh, what political scientists call a disproportionality uh, effect which means that uh, the more the votes are distributed across a large number of parties, uh, the, the more uh, the first party converts votes in, in, into seats, right? So the more fragmented the votes are, the, the, the more the BJP is likely to convert a minority of votes into a majority of seats. It's useful to remember that it got 77% of the seats, but with, what, 45% of the votes. So it's a huge disproportion, and it's the fragmentation that creates that. If you reduce the fragmentation, then you reduce the, uh, you reduce the effect, right? It's not entirely mechanical, obviously, uh, but that's, that's the principle. That's, that's how it works. And so in contests where you still have a 3, 3.5 in all corner fight, uh, but the gap between the second and the third is bigger, then effectively uh, the second party becomes more competitive. So, so the 2012 parallel, in a sense, uh, does it work this time? Or because we also saw in 2017, uh, in a sense, it was a special election because it had been preceded by demonetization. And a number of voters actually felt that the BJP government was going to take a number of steps uh, to control black money 
and to basically uh, including uh, you know get some money in their bank accounts i mean do you think there is a parallel between 2012 and uh, 22 now well there hasn't been you know a big you know shock announcement ahead of this election or, or maybe yet uh, that that would sort of help recreate you know the the circumstances but uh, i mean there are, there are limits you know with the exercise of comparing one election to another uh, the context today uh, in up is quite different from from what it was even in 2017 uh, there are aspects of change that are that are actually you know difficult to measure uh, although we do have clues you know from from a number of surveys that have been conducted that um, the communalization of society in up has progressed quite tremendously that addition to some of the core ideas that sustain the bjp and not to be the idea that it's fine after all to mix religion and politics i mean these are ideas that have gained considerable support um in in up across groups uh, over the past uh, five years and so it's difficult to assess you know how the growing adhesion for the brand of politics that the bjp represent you know it it's is going to uh, help it retain a lot of the support that that it obtained in 2017 through you know a clever campaign uh, a couple of i mean quote unquote tricks you know like demonetization and of course you can't reduce demonetization to an electoral trick but it served that purpose also and so the context today is is quite significantly different so do you think that you know the bjp in successive elections uh, since lok sabha 2014 has it managed to carve out a hindu vote bank for itself i think the success is 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 what i just said is that there's a growing adhesion to some of the core tenets of you know the bjp ideology representation of the state what the state should do uh the the use of hindu symbol in statecraft and and, and things like that the role of religion there's not a single major party in in up today that actually not even opposes but even criticizes you know, the building a ram temple right i mean they they've won on on those issues but now to say that in even uh, the recent um, cpr yugov uh, survey indicates that you know you have a majority of voters across political parties not just among bjp supporters that actually supports you know a dose of authoritarianism versus electoral democracy in in india there's a majority of opinion that seems to think that elections are a hindrance we need a strong leader and so forth and so these are ideas that are shared across bases of political main political parties uh but it's these are ideas that in a way better incarnated by by the bjp and that obviously gives it um an edge and enables it to mobilize uh, across across groups with uh, with a certain you know level of efficacy but to say that because uh, people are inclined to think in ways that are aligned with the way the bjp thinks uh, does not necessarily mean that they will mechanically or blindly vote for the bjp because what we know about electoral behavior in in up and that is true for other states as well is that uh, voters tend to not vote on the basis of a single uh, variable uh, of course caste matters religion matters development matters whether you've benefited from welfare schemes that also matters and everything creates some sort of a complex mix 
from which people actually from which out of which people make you know their um, decision and what we know also about electoral behavior in india is that it it's ever changing and so even when you have phases where you have strong alignments across groups to vote for a particular party and this is not the first time that the bjp won on the basis of a backward or non-dominant backward or upper caste alliance in UP. They did so, you know, in the late 90s already. There's no guarantee that it will, you know, automatically, you know, reproduce itself in, in subsequent election. In that way, the Indian electorate retains the ability to uh, surprise political parties, surprise uh, observers and journalists like like yourself, like myself, and, and scholars like myself. And, and I think that's a very good thing. Is still an aspect of uh, electoral democracy in India that is actually healthy. That is that we fundamentally we don't know what the outcomes are going to be. You mentioned earlier, Gilles, about uh, you know the fact that the fragmentation of opposition vote will help the BJP. Uh, I know that sometimes comparing Lok Sabha and Assembly elections uh, doesn't quite work out. But we saw in 2019 an unusual alliance between the SP and the BSP. And it really came a cropper. So in such a scenario and in the experience of what has just gone, uh, I mean, contesting separately was perhaps the uh, only option that the Samajwadi Party and um, the BSP had for themselves. So yes and no, because um, obviously if you add uh, SP vote plus BSP vote, they get more votes than the BJP does, right? Even in 2017. Uh, but uh, when those two parties contest together, like they did in 2019, uh, it sort of changed, you know, the game and the equation. Uh, voters do not respond, you know, a similar way, and we know that vote transfers don't occur at the same level, you know, uh, between between those two uh, parties. My sense about the 2019 election is not so much that making an alliance was a mistake. I think it was a necessity, but the mistake was to only rely on uh, the simple, you know, uh, addition of both parties, you know, sort of stable vote base. Uh, they did not work very hard to um, capture the imagination of non-aligned voters, of you know, voters who were not already, you know, supporters of uh, the SP and, and the BSP. It also gave the BJP the opportunity to say, look, all these privileged groups uh, who have, you know, captured most of the state's attention and benefits, the Yada of the Jatav and the Muslims, they're coming together. So, and, and, and they basically mobilized against that sort of trifecta. And, and that proved to be, you know, quite effective. But the thing is that SP and BSP together did not do much to uh, dispel those notions. They distributed a lot of tickets to candidates who belonged to their base because they were, you know, they wanted to make sure not to lose it. Um, they did not offer much or didn't, they did not have much to offer to, to all these non-aligned voters. And, and that's how they, they did not make the difference. I still think that these two parties are, electorally speaking, better off together than separate because it's simply because it reduces fragmentation. Think about, you know, vote splitting, you know, in seats where you have a sizable Muslim population, for example. I mean, that immediately, if you solve that problem, it gives you a, a jump of, you know, several dozen seats. But you need more than seat sharing agreements. And that requires 
effort and that also requires uh, political imagination, which, which has somewhat been lacking in, in political parties in recent years. Uh, we've also seen, uh, you know, just to look at the yogi government, uh, you know, from thousands of tragic corona deaths to tales of police brutality, uh, you know, to the anti-CAA agitation. We've seen quite a lot happen uh, in these five years of government. We also see that the BJP has a very formidable uh, propaganda machinery, which was used uh, to the hilt uh, in terms of advertising and campaign before the elections were announced. So do you think this is going to sort of uh, blunt some of the criticism against the government? Um, I mean, they're going to try very hard, you know, to blunt those criticism um, for sure. And 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 to me, this is really where lies the, the main stake uh, of that um, election. It's it's the kind of political system that the BJP under um, Yogi Adityanath has, uh, you know, set up in UP. We know that most, you know, chief ministers in India have, you know, uh, authoritarian inclinations. Um, but I don't think there's another example in India today or in the recent past where, where we've seen that level of concentration of power and that sort of will to use uh, legislation and state power as, as a majoritarian instrument. And so what the BJP calls, you know, uh, a good record in, in maintaining law and order uh, also includes uh, using the state machinery to crack down on, on minorities and dissenters like, like never before to convert ordinances into legislations to uh, set into laws practices that otherwise are better defined you know as you know extrajudicial, extrajudicial killing or even you know vigilantism uh, i'm thinking about the love jihad ordinance for example and and the anti conversion bill and the promotion of you know encounters in 2018 and and so forth and so Every government obviously has a responsibility to maintain law and order, but also has the moral and constitutional obligation to do that in ways that do not violate democratic norms. And this is some sort of a trademark uh, of the BJP government under Yogi Adityanath is to uh, almost systematically violate democratic norms in the name of instoring law um, and, and, and order. And my fear is that uh, this, this sort of um, strongman politics, and, and we have other examples um, across across the world, is also quite successful at generating uh, support, because it makes the state look, uh, you know, effective. It makes political leaders look uh, decisive, and and you know, not afraid of doing what it needs to 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 solve these you know age-old problems. But the cost in terms of um, quality of democracy, in, 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 in co- the, the cost in terms of threat on, on the lives of uh, citizens, uh, be they minorities or dissenters or opponents, or I mean, anyone saying something remotely critical you know, about the chief minister, about uh, the, the, the government, um, is, is actually quite, quite frightful. Uh, and, and, what is at stake in UP is whether that kind of political regime is going to receive uh, electoral sanction or, or whether uh, voters are going to look for um, alternatives. Before I let you go, my last question, Gilles, is about, uh, you know, if the BJP uh, does win, 
Do you think this will boost Yogi Adityanath's national ambitions or cement Narendra Modi's central role in governance, uh, both at the center and within the BJP? Or will it do both? To start with the Prime Minister, I think his you know, place within the party and, and at the center is as consolidated as, as can be. And, uh, and of course, you know, a strong victory uh, reinforces that further but uh, I, I don't see at this point what could really you know uh, dent it if the BJP loses ground it's going to be the chief minister's fault and not the prime minister um, I mean that's that's how they're going to uh, spin it as far as Yogi Adityanath is concerned it's not so much whether he wins or not but it's how he wins right if he can maintain uh, the level of performance that uh, the BJP you know did in, in 2017 then it will give a boost to his uh, national uh, ambition. If the uh, decline, even even if they manage to win again, but the decline in, in terms of seat or votes, you know, is is, is substantial, it, it's going to make that uh, that project more difficult in the short run. That's for sure. Gilles Vanya, we're going to leave it uh, here in this episode of the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you very much for talking to us. Most welcome. Pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.